Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we implored you last week to watch the movie. We implore you again now if you haven't. We're going to talk about Wait Until Dark from 1967, starring Audrey Hepburn and directed by Terrence Young. And uh, it is very tense. Not particularly... We'll get into the plot of it, which is a little bit absurd, but I think it's on absurd on purpose. But if you haven't watched it, please go watch it. It's super good, you guys. You will definitely like it. it High it audience score. Earned its place as one of the greatest thrillers ever made. Yes. So before we get started, mm-hmm. um, how was your week? Um, my it was. Week? It was Christmas week. We had Christmas, yes. y'all. It's not Christmas it's yet. Christmas is in the future for us. In the future. But, um, but for you, I'm it sure is in the past. I will have a wonderful time. I oh, hope yeah. so. Yes, we, we did have a wonderful time on Christmas, I insist. We're going to have a roast beast mm-hmm. and probably watch movies and stay inside where it's warm. It's going to be good. So far, I have um, I've decided that there's a term. There's a murder of crows and a pod of whales and a yep. pride of lions. Mass noun. Uh a madness of cookies. A madness of cookies. That's how I've been. I've been eating <laughs> this madness of cookies that you made. I did make over two hundred cookies. Yes. And I gave away over one hundred cookies, which meant there were a hundred there. I don't think you got through a hundred. I think I gave I away know. more than that. <laughs> I ate quite a bit. You of ate them. quite a few. Mm-hmm. Yes. They were good, though, right? I madness. did a good job this year. It was a madness of cookies. <laughs> madness of cookies. A sugar drop of cookies. Right. And then now I'm going to have to, now that the cookies are slowly... A diabetic coma of right. cookies. <laughs> as, as, they're, as they're fading There's away. There's very few left. Right. There's, I think, six shortbread cookies, two peanut butter cookies, two chocolate cookies, and a partridge in a pear tree. Well, there's... Yes. <laughs> And I like have, five gingerbreads. I've been like enjoying that. the gingerbreads just the last couple of days. I because I told you I made good yeah, gingerbreads. I'm very wary of ginger. I um also am because it tastes like soap on my palate. But mm-hmm. if so if I like a ginger thing, you should trust okay. my palate and at least palate. try it. <laughs> uh okay. So we say Merry Christmas, we say Happy New Year, we say Happy Hanukkah. And we get into Wait Until Dark. Yes. This movie was released on October 26th, 1967. Y'all, what a fantastic Halloween viewing this must have been. Uh, it cost $3 million to make. I'm going to say $2 million of that should have gone to Audrey Hepburn, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. And it made $17.5 million because what does horror do? It's cheap to make. And it's heavily, uh, heavily remunerative. Yes, that's the word. That right. I, that is the word I wanted. I'm right. like, you said it earlier today, but I I always get the N and the M mixed up. So, um, the backstory on this particular or the pedigree, it started as a play. Yes, and it was written by Frederick Knopp who only wrote two other plays, and um, one of the other plays was Dialem for Murder. Oh, fascinating. So he I did wrote not these realize sort of puzzle trap plays. Pu- yes, and I didn't even realize that this was a play. I had uh, We had seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten entirely about the Gloria character, the little right. girl in the, in the film. And 
I had also forgotten that it was based on a play, and I, so I was surprised by that. But then when we started watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, it takes place in one place. Right. That's a pretty good indication that it is, in fact, based on a play. And it's one of the rare instances, I think, that that really works out well. It does. Uh, because we're talking about a woman who... Audrey Hepburn... Um, so the play originally uh, was written by Mr. Knott. Yep. And it uh, starred Lee Remick, who yep. audiences might remember our listeners from uh, The Omen. Yes. And uh, Robert Duvall was Mr. Rote. Rote, Rote, Rote. <laughs> he's Rote, Rote, Rote your boat. Right. He, he's, he's, uh, he gets three. Alan Arkin in this movie gets three credits. Right. For and playing... This, one character. Right. <laughs> I, he got those three credits from... I, I saw a, a, um, a making of featurette today uh-huh. where Mel Ferrer... The producer. Yes. Who was married to Audrey Hepburn at the time. Uh, got the film specifically to have her in it. He, he wanted to showcase his wife. Right. Makes sense. She's stunning. She does appear to be overacting in this movie, and I've thought about it all day, and I don't think she was. She's, I don't think she was. No, I don't think she... I, I, she... But anyhow, so she, she, he got it and specifically credited the producer of the Broadway play, credited the fact that it was based on a Broadway play to, because he had such respect for the original creators of the material. Right. Uh, but he got it specifically because he thought Audrey is always seen as everyone's Meek. sweetheart, yes, or she's sweetheart. very charming or very sweet. And everyone who worked on the production was smitten with her, including I got to see an interview with Alan Arkin where he's like, of course everyone falls in love with Audrey Hepburn. Because she's so, just a sweet person? Yes. He, she is that person. But um, so, uh, Quick pause here. Um, I've seen Audrey Hepburn in two movies. This is the first thing I ever saw her in. Then I saw Roman Holiday. I've never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. Which Breakfast is the other big um, thing also for her. Sabrina. And Sabrina. And I've only ever seen the remake funny of Sabrina. Face. Also never one. seen Funny Face. Right. The, so I don't have... My my knowledge of Audrey Hepburn is... I know who she is, obviously. Right. But my actual experience of her is this movie and Roman Holiday. Yeah, she was a, a really remarkable person with a lot of hidden depths to her. And what she gets remembered mostly for now, I mean, she's still a style icon. Of course. And she was one of the... She is bird-boned uh-huh. in, a, in, a, in a very real way. She is very fine-boned. Right. She's very narrow. She looks like a dancer. She was a dancer. Apparently. That makes she, sense. She was I'm a like, ballet I didn't see a ballet. She looks like a um, ballet dancer. She could have yeah. probably had... She at least has the body for mm-hmm. ballet unfortunately that's a thing still and it's gross but even in this and she's an she's older in this right i mean her skin is flawless she looks like a porcelain doll well i say she looks like a porcelain doll but there's a porcelain doll in this movie that's creepy as fuck that's not what i mean right um but yeah so that's my my entire experience with her is this movie basically it was she she grew up during the second world war yeah and she had some terrible experiences there. Um, is she a British? She is English, mostly, where she was sent away to be educated in England. Um, the uh, But yes, there's horrible stories from her childhood about watching the uh, trains. 
being taken off and taking wood. Uh, and which is why she later on became such a staunch supporter of, I believe, let's see. I mean, she's listed in Wikipedia as actress and humanitarian. Yes. Um, she went to war-torn regions and worked especially for um, convincing uh, people to donate for, oh God, what is it? Is it UNESCO or UNICEF? Or UNICEF. I'm like, humanitarian career gets all, yeah, UNICEF. Yeah, she... She's a goodwill ambassador for She was UNICEF. a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF, and she did just... She would actually travel to war-torn regions and bring back stories for these children, and she mentioned this, or she talks about how when she was a young child, she saw a little boy in a coat that was too large for him uh-huh. being packed into a train, not knowing that he was going away to a camp and not coming back. And when she had that realization, it just deeply, profoundly affected her. So um, at one point, she was putting on performances, dance performances that actually funded the resistance uh, against the Nazis. And she had she has really horrible stories about the Nazis as well, but she was very anti-fascist, very, um, very pro-children's rights. And she, yeah, that's most of what, after she retired, she devoted herself to. Um, let's, here's the problem. There's an awards and honors section that just says she's got let many, here's a link to the article, or like to the yeah. actual thing. And then see also list of EGOT winners. <laughs> Which makes me think. So yeah. she won Best Actress at the Academy Awards for Roman Holiday, and she, um, she was honored with the Gene uh, Herschel's Humanitarian Award in uh, 1992. Emmy, she did win for Gardens of the World with Audrey Hepburn in 1993. That feels like a give this old lady a thing. (laughs) By that point, she was retired, and she came out of retirement to do appearances in films. Well, this was Gardens of the World with Audrey Hepburn as an Emmy Award. This is definitely right. something that she was making for the BBC or something like that, uh, and PBS, and she won that. And then she she did one Best Spoken Word Album for Children in 1994. I'm telling you, all of these things, they're like, let's see, you got her. We can do it. And then uh, <clears throat> she won... For Andine, Best Actress for Andine, she won a Tony in 1954. Mm. So, yep, she egotted it. Yeah, she's uh, she was a very remarkable actress. And uh, this film is really, it's to, to go into the story briefly, uh, it involves a woman, right? And uh, are we name. just going into the story? Why are we just going in briefly? Because <laughs> it's there's not much to tell. I mean, yeah, no, broadly, it, it's yeah, it's a woman thwarting con men, right? <laughs> is and the woman is Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn <laughs> is playing a woman who's not too is new to blindness. New to blindness. She's she, going to blind school. Right. She was in a car accident, and that. Her retinas were burned out. Right. So, so she sees dark brown, we hear. Yeah. And she uh, is trying very much to compensate with her husband, who's played by Ephraim Zimbalist. Yeah. He's her playing... husband's a 
dick. He's playing very much a man of that age, though. Was I know, and it's right so and upsetting. It's deeply upsetting. And it's even kind of more upsetting to me mm-hmm. um, on two other levels. One, right. having read that Audrey Hepburn never felt that she herself was attractive. Right. That she thought she was maybe too fat or too tall or just plain too ugly. Which is, hey, everybody, media will fuck anybody up. Mm. Can you imagine looking like Audrey Hepburn and being like, I'm too tall to be attractive? I'm sorry. What? Um, And then to find out, as we do in the story, that she was unmarried at the time of her accident... And Sam saved her, pulled her out and saved her. Mm-hmm. And then they fell in love and they got married. And she is constantly compensating for her disability right. in myriad ways. And she has to be the best blind person. And he won't answer questions about where a thing is. You'll figure it out. I'm over here. Bring it to me. Do Like, he doesn't... Right. It's so... And again, the... It is very typical of men at the time. This was the beginning of a change but, in that dynamic, or mm, this age was the beginning of the change in that dynamic? Maybe, but I think the reason right. that it, it sparks off of me so much is it actually hasn't really changed. And there are, I'm going to say, I'm going right. to say 50% of men my age or older in marriages right now mm-hmm. have the same fucking attitude. Well, Which is yeah. why their marriages but are this, ending. This was... <laughs> but, like, it's... Right. It's fucked up. But looking at this in combination with another film made just about the same time, which was Planet of the Apes, that idea that you disliked about Charlton Heston's kind of very assertive, very over-aggressive male who just sort of baits and pushes people and pushes their buttons... Yeah, I just hate... I hate it. That was... It's so toxic. It's so disgusting. And it only hurts them. But he is such a just such a dick to her. And I'm just like, even at the very end. Well, let's get to the end. end. There are bodies on the floor. Right. And he's like, you need to come to me. And I'm just like, motherfucker, what? So (laughs) jumping ahead of ourselves. Okay. So, Um, yes, it starts with a doll. Yes, we see we're given a scene of a young woman, uh, kind of well, dishy and all done up, and she's taking a doll from a doll maker who has emptied it and put something else in it. Right. We don't ever see what that is all the way up until the end, and then we do see what it is, and it's heroin. As you said, it's a MacGuffin. It's a MacGuffin. It doesn't matter. They all want the doll. They want the doll. She's met at the airport by a man that we later on learn to be Harry Rote. Well, yes. So, but well. She sees that she's been followed at the airport, right. and it makes her nervous, so she offloads the doll with Sam. Right, who looks equally irritated with her as he is with everyone else. Yes. He's just an impatient He's man. just a dick. So he, yeah, and she, I guess, basically says, hey, can you take this for me? Mm-hmm. What Sam, we hear third hand, what Sam tells Susie, mm-hmm. who is Audrey Hepburn's character, is... This woman had this doll for her sick daughter and wanted to hide it from her other daughter so that she didn't get jealous. And then she never came and got it, which I think is what this woman said to him. Mm -hmm. She tucks it into his suitcase and then is 
pulled off by Alan Arkin. We don't know who that is yet. Right. Well, we find out because he's mm. actually he should have been credited with another character there because I think his hair is lighter than it is the rest of the film. But it doesn't. It also doesn't matter because he gives his name as Rhodes. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's his real name. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way that 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 that's that character's real name. So we're treated now to uh, the story of uh, Susie, uh, Susie Hendricks, and her domestic situation. Her husband's a photographer. And yeah, but we're treated up to that in a real weird way. Uh, so because. We are in her apartment mm-hmm. for five minutes before we understand that it's not that we we get the two main main we get the two um con artists right Mike Talman and Carlino Sergeant Carlino he hates when you call him that but it's accurate well he yes um going into this house it says go ahead and let yourself in on a typed thing it says it's from Lisa who we then understand is the blonde the woman, woman from the beginning. The right. But they go in and they realize that this is not Lisa's house. She's not the ones in the photographs. This is it's not her beautiful house. <laughs> we see the man from the airport and Audrey Hepburn in these photos. Um, there's nobody else there. They realize that, and they're like, when has Lisa ever been able to type? Which is an odd question until you remember that people used to go to typing school. I guess. I, it seems very odd to me. I feel like anybody could figure it out if mm-hmm. they just had to type a quick note, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, nobody taught me how to use a typewriter. I figured it out. So I used I, to have to take typing classes. I mean, I took typing classes, yeah. but I'd already, I knew how to use a typewriter because it's pretty self explanatory. Well, it is. Like, if you've I ever think... seen one, you could figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing one being used. I think if you've never seen it being used, you might have some trouble. But if you've ever, like, seen a picture of one being used or even watched somebody use it, you mm. could probably figure it out. They're like, oh, no, do you think it's bugged? And then they go to leave, and that is when they are stopped by Alan Arkin in a, what I'm going to presume is a bananas wig, but I don't know. He's wearing he wigs in very, other parts of it. He but. looks very much like a typical a portrayal of, like, a heroin addict. In the 60s. Oh, really? The aviator's glasses, and they're tinted dark, because, you know, of course, the sunlight hurt their eyes once their pupils dilated and all. Um, And he comes in with a rug over his shoulder that he throws over the the banister. And this is the set that we are, almost for the rest of the film, with a few asides, confined to this one location. It's a a basement apartment Mm -hmm. in, we presume, New York. Right. Um with shutters on the windows that close entirely because he's a photographer, remember? So he has his black room, or his uh, his dark room there. That was supposed to add to the, the issues, the insecurities that Susie feels because her husband sees for a living and she can't That's true. see it all. And she, the other people occupying her apartment are her neighbor, who we see briefly, a man who's rushing off to go skiing um, yes. in his sports car. And... Uh, and a girl who's Gloria, Gloria yeah. who's actually played by the actress who, one of the actresses who played her on Broadway. Oh, interesting. Originally. That character is so wild. She's sort of an emotionally disturbed young girl. Yes, and you hear that um, Susie has issues with her because she gives her a lot of attitude because she feels like she's the bad guy because Gloria is basically in love with Sam, which is probably not untrue. That Mm -hmm. feels right. This girl's probably about 14, and 
that she acts younger than that, but that's about right how how old the actress looked. Um, but also, and then Sam says, you know, you know, give her cut her some slack. Her dad's gone again, and her mom's drinking constantly. Like it's a it's right. a bad Gloria's in a bad situation. So Gloria is being is sort of like. I guess she's being paid to help Susie. Yes, she's with being going to paid, groceries yeah. and doing other things that she can't really do. So um, they have a sort of a, a dynamic that becomes more sympathetic as the film goes on. As the film goes on, but before you get any of that, you get blackmail. You get Mike and Carlino mm-hmm. being um, herded. <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. by this guy who introduces himself as Rote. That's Alan Arkin's character. He's the main baddie. Mm-hmm. And he says he's working with Lisa. He's going to offer them each two grand to spend time in this apartment to find this doll. We need this doll. I'm not telling you what's in the doll. I'm not telling you anything about the doll. Although Mike immediately is like, well, what's in the doll? Because right. nobody gives a fuck about a doll. So what's in the doll? Well, like, what's. Well, it's going to be worth a hell of a lot if they're going to offer. Two, Five, four grand right. total, yeah. Um, and and then he says, so now we know what's in the doll. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, they basically say, okay. They start looking around, and he says, uh, there's a closet in there that's locked if you looked in there. And he says, oh, it's not in there. Alan Arkin's character wrote, wrote says, it's not, it's not in there. The key was on the ledge. And Mike is like, well, it isn't now, so I know that you have the key. You slipped up, give me the key. And when he opens the closet, he does find a dead lady. Inside of a... It's Lisa. She's in a clothes... She's in a, like a... Clothing bag? Yeah, like a a Uh zip-up. Like what you'd keep a wedding dress or something in. And um, at that point, they're like, nah, fuck this noise. And Alan Arkin goes, but what about your fingerprints? And he has touched nothing except a baby food jar that he tapped his cigarette into. Right. And he's wearing gloves. And we should point out Richard Crenn is playing Mike Tallman. Yes. Who is, who is very much like... Tall man. Who is like um, uh, Susie's husband. He's tall, good-looking. Sure. Seems um, like less of an asshole, weirdly. He's a con man. He's a con man, but he's less but, of one. But and, in being a con man, mm-hmm. he knows how to be kind to people in a right. way that Sam doesn't give a fuck about. And um, Jack Weston, who's a character actor from way back. He's and around. He's but not- very funny. And he does a lot of comic bits in this scene. In this, Because yeah. he immediately tries to think of all the places all he the places going. he's he needs when to he wipe off. When he first gets invited into the house thinking it's Lisa's, his first move is to go in the kitchen uh, and serve he, up a sandwich and start making this enormous sandwich for it himself. It is wild. He pulls out, like, a stack of cold cuts and mm-hmm. cheese and bread and right. just sits down on the couch and he's like, Lisa's not here. So I'm just... And eating this person's food. Have not looked around. Mm. By this point, Mike is like, this isn't Lisa's place. Right. Because Lisa's not in any of these photos. Somebody else lives here. We're just in somebody's fucking apartment right now. In the middle of the day. Funny part is that he should know better because he has been a police officer sometime in the past. It's alluded to. 
that he was an officer. I presumed he still was. I, I thought that I, he had been kicked out. I, I don't know. I, that was the impression. I, I honestly thought he still was, but the con that they're running makes it a little difficult to tell who is what. Um, so as they start, basically, then he says, it's going to be four grand a piece for us. Right. This is bullshit. Since now you're basically blackmailing us into having to help you. And we have to dispose of this body. And we have to dispose of this body, which is what the rug, he right. brought the rug in for. But then all of a sudden Susie comes home and these three men fucking freeze, tuck themselves into a corner, and we just have to watch a whole scene where Audrey Hepburn wanders around with three criminal-ass men in her house, right. and she doesn't know. She smells cigarettes. She thinks Gloria snuck Which cigarettes. Which is an interesting dynamic, too. And again, because it came from a play, there's a lot of thought put into mm-hmm. the dynamics She of the knows story. the chairs have been moved. Right. She thinks Gloria is doing this to fuck with her. And this leads to part of her animosity with Gloria. Right. Uh, which was really interesting going, oh, okay, so then she's blaming her for something that she didn't do. Right. But um, we don't know what she did the day before. Right. Like, we, are, we come in on this day, and y'all, this whole thing takes place in, essentially, in two days? Yeah, pretty much. Basically? One day, really, most of the action takes place in one day. I thought that, like... I mean, if you discount This wraps the, it, and then it's, like, the next day that... It, like, I think it's... Uh, if you count the airport business, that's a, a separate thing. No, no, no. I'm not right. counting that. I'm counting this scene right here. Mm-hmm. And then she goes... She leaves to have lunch with him because she, Sam's Right, model. and I thought that then the, everything was the next day. Everything right. that we see after that was the next day. Oh, I assumed it was the same day, but you might be right. um, because he's waiting for this woman. He, they, they still have to set up for him to go out of town. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the same day. I think it's the next day. But either way, right? Because I thought she came back from school again. She came back from school and then she goes out to have lunch with him when right. his model didn't show up. Right. Which is a fake model, right? With a banana's name, right? That we find out later that Road has set up, and has assigned this name to Lisa. So because the next day the body mm-hmm. is found. That's the thing. Oh, that's right. They find the it body. So they she goes and she goes and has lunch with Sam, mm-hmm. leaving these three men in her apartment, right. unbeknownst to her, and they wrap up the body and and dump it. They go and dump it. And then that night on the radio, I guess, because she says I heard about it on the radio mm-hmm. that this woman was found from Scarsdale. Asbury Park? I don't know. There's a big... I really... I would love Jersey. to know what the joke was about Scarsdale because there's a constant... Uh, they're constantly referencing the fact that Rhodes from Scarsdale. It's like, what happened in Scarsdale? It's a Jersey thing, at I'm the time. sure. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, yeah. Right. It's, it's a cultural specificity thing that we don't know. Um, so then... Then they run a con on her but it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, the idea is that... And maybe because it's being facilitated by right. a dude who's actively high on heroin, I don't know. Well, the, <laughs> the idea is that they want to know where the doll is, and they haven't found it, right. either Rote or the two men, uh, or um, or Tallman and... Tal- uh, Mike and Mike and Carlino. Yeah, have not found it by looking either. No, they've looked um, everywhere. 
Uh, they believe it to be in a safe that is hidden by, like, just got a, like a tablecloth on it. Right. Um, it's being used for its surface, essentially. As a ta- yes, and as so a table. And so they need to get the combination of the safe. It's a key. Or a key. Yeah. Um, and so they create this very elaborate it's this, ruse. But it just doesn't make sense, which is why it falls apart. Because Susie is frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, Susie is still acclimating to being blind. Susie is a people pleaser in the worst way. But Susie's not stupid. Right. Um, and so she puts together some things as we, we're going and sets up some outs for herself and uh, uses Gloria to help her with that. But um, Mike starts by coming in and saying that he knows Sam. They were in the war together. He was hoping to take Sam out for a drink and ingratiates himself with Susie. And she has no reason to believe that none of that is true. And she's nervous. Why? Because a woman from the neighborhood was just found, or a woman was just found murdered in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So she's now like, well, I'm particularly at risk risk because I'm blind. So um, he starts ingratiating herself, himself, at which point Alan Arkin basically bursts in in old man makeup, right. which is wild. Well, he's wearing a wig and things like that because he knows that he has to come in and get to her apartment. So in case yes. they don't know that the guy's leaving for, I don't know, uh, for... Uh, the skier the was out. Leaving. Gloria. Yeah, yeah, Gloria is there. I mean, it's, a, so it's an apartment building. So he does building. it for that reason, yeah. not realizing that... So he storms into that room. He steals a photograph. Yeah, and he's, like, ranting, and it's unclear. At that point, I'm like, what is he even saying? Like, I couldn't even make out right. what he was talking about. And then he leaves, and then she calls the police. That is um, that is a picture, or that, that phone call is intercepted at right. the phone booth outside where they have parked their van as well. But, and Sergeant Carlino, Sergeant Carlino, Tolman's... Uh, partner shows up to be the cop on the scene Mm -hmm. and then this is where it starts falling apart almost immediately for me their phone starts ringing and she's getting calls for all of these people like I understand that when landlines were a thing you might get a phone call for a person who was visiting you but that cop had been there for like four minutes. There's no way that the police department is calling your home landline to ask for a cop that has actually already left. He had left like two minutes before mm-hmm. and Mike goes, I'll just get him back. And he just calls out for him and he's still right there. And I'm like, who's believing this? I think that at the, then again, it's part of it is the fact that you're looking at a completely different world. Technology has moved us in a whole That's a different big part direction. of it, but all, it just doesn't. Right. I mean, it doesn't They're make sense to you. It's to the do, kind of thing that did happen back then. But it's also them on a protracted timeline trying to get this woman to right. give them information. So they have to spin out this yarn. Because the next thing is, oh, then Carlino has to go work on this case of this woman that was found. Mm-hmm. So the the murdered woman is tied in with them. Then... 
Rote's son comes. Who's also in played. a different right. in a different getup, but the same shoes, and that is where he fucks up because his shoes like make a sound when he steps on the, the stairs. Same, yeah. They squeak on the step, and she knows instantly that's the same shoes. And but she doesn't say anything, but right. you can see it on her face. Um, and. I don't. And then he says, "You know, my wife. You, know, my dad is look out looking for my wife. My wife was found murdered." Well, uh, no, she. He finds out his wife is found murdered because oh, someone right. from the supposed the police, police department department. calls to tell him that his wife has been found murdered on her phone. Right. How would they know where he was? The idea was. Um, this is where I'm just like right. How would but fundamentally what they're trying to get her to understand or get her to believe is that Sam and this man's wife, the dead Lisa, mm-hmm. were having an affair and that he had uh, he had given her a doll. Right. Or she had given him something of I don't remember how the doll fits into their story. And she's like, No, 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 no. He got this doll like I heard it because it like squeaked. Yeah, or it the, says "Mama" it, or something it, like that. It, it's no, got a it, voice. It, oh no! It, the other movie does a song. It does <laughs> it a, song. a song. It yes. does a song. That's right. And it's she a music heard box it on the doll at the same time. That's right. Because you could. I, I remember those where mm. you twist. You know, you'd wind it up, and then you, it would help you sleep or whatever. Um, it and she she noticed it when he got back from his uh, trip to Toronto, and. I think they'd fought over it, and she didn't know what had happened to it. Um, she said he had tried to get rid of it, but she this woman was nowhere to be found. Like right. she didn't. He, she had he, not come in. She had not come to reclaim the doll. Yeah, and um, and the way that it fits into their story is that okay? Then the police are going to go after Sam for her murder. Right. The only way to clear her is to get rid of this one piece of evidence this, that ties, this doll that them, ties together, them together, which is this doll. Yeah. But no, but what I'm what what I can't remember is what they say the doll represents. Like in 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 Sam and Lejeune's or whatever they call her mm. affair. What what the fuck the doll was. I can't remember. But it doesn't matter because mm. none of it makes any fucking sense. And Susie knows it doesn't make any sense, but she also knows she is her husband is like had to take a train mm-hmm. or a bus way out to do a photo shoot. Right, of a factory at night. Of a yes. So he's gone for the foreseeable future and there are there's a murder that she heard about on the radio, so she knows mm-hmm. that's real. And then there are these men that keep coming into her apartment. Right. And so she knows that she's vulnerable. And she sets up um she she finally um because they keep saying that there's a cop car out there and he's watching the house right, and that's he's what Mike looking tells out her. for. But then Gloria later says, No, there's no cop car out yeah. there. It's just a van. Mike starts to become aware of the fact that she's not as vulnerable as she seems. Um, because she asks, why was Inspector or Sergeant, uh, Sergeant Carlino? Why was he 
fiddling with the blinds. Why is everyone so interested in what's going on with the blinds? And the blinds were how they were sending signals to the, the one or the other of them would always be outside in this van again. Yeah. Um, and they're answering the phones or they're right. calling in. Um, and, and yeah, she's like, why are you fucking with my blinds? Mm-hmm. You, two of you at least sound the same. Right. Why are you all calling my house? Like, None of this makes sense. And she ends up having Gloria like go up to her apartment and say, if anybody uses that phone across the street, call me. Well, and Gloria, at this point, the they've had Gloria, a whole fight and then fight, come back together. Which is interesting. Apparently on the actual stage play where this this actress, um, young actress had played the part, there was a scene, there's a scene where she just throws a tantrum and starts throwing everything on the floor. Yeah. And in the actual play, there was one time that she threw all this cutlery to the floor and one object bounced off the stage and jumped into the audience. Oh, no. And they said, uh, the, uh, one of the reviewers commented or the, that on that particular night, who was there that night, that the little girl walked off the stage, just became a little girl again, asked for the part back because she didn't want to, make, wanted to make sure no one was hurt, got the part, and then like, Stepped back in the stage and just into character again. Wow. And then she got a standing ovation because you're like, holy hell, what? <laughs> she saw some real ass acting. <laughs> right. It was this It was her. Girl? She's like really young, but she was able to just go in and pick up without missing a beat, but she wanted to make sure no one's hurt. Well, it's hurt, right. Well, so yeah, if it's cut, she would not break character on stage, but the minute she stepped off the stage to look for the part, she turned into a little girl again wow. and then goes back into this. Yeah, emotionally she has, disturbed they have youngster. this fight about. Um, she's going to go to the A&P, and I, I don't even remember how it kicks off, but Gloria just starts throwing Well, she calls shit. her a monster. Uh, Susie calls her a monster. Um, based partly on the idea that she comes in and smokes and she does all this other stuff while she's There's a there. couple of points where she comes in, sees people in the apartment, and then, sneaks away. And then just backs out of the apartment and goes over without saying anything, which don't do that to right. somebody who's blind. That's that's because that just unsettles her and makes her th well, yeah yeah think what on earth is going on and she thought earlier again that when she was actually in danger these three men are inside this room right. she thought that Gloria was there right and that's that's actually been fomenting this kind right. of right so they end up character. having a fight where Gloria throws yeah just starts throwing shit opens the refrigerator starts throwing groceries starts throwing knives mm -hmm. those glassware just like not glassware that's it because in the end she goes oh she doesn't i only throw non-breakables i learned that from my dad and that's the hint that you have oh that's your right. home life is it's, so it's fucked up. up yeah and she doesn't know how to she doesn't know how to navigate the big feelings that she's right. having and she's this is what's been modeled to and her and then um susie and it's it's one of those moments that you think reaches to her own feelings of insecurity yeah. about herself. I don't feel pretty. I don't know if I am. And then she and Gloria have this moment where it's like, you're beautiful. You, I wish I looked like you. And But she can't see herself anymore. So there's, yeah. there's that. And they kind of reconnect. And what there's a good moment. Because, God, Audrey Hepburn's performance in this movie is amazing. Yeah, there are times when she is straight up freaking out and you're like is she really just going over the fucking top but not really no. because you gotta think about this is a woman who has been blind for less than two years mm -hmm. we don't know how much time right but she had to be able to marry this man uh -huh. because they met at her fire 
She didn't know him before that. She is now married to him. So some time has passed, but she is still in blind school. She is learning to deal with this disability. There's a scene where... So she's really relying heavily on Mike to interpret what's going on. Mike, This man who she does not know. Right, because he's a friend of (laughs) Sam's and she trusts Sam above everything else. And she said, you know, why are they keep looking at the blinds? So he makes up a story. He's like on this... Well, there's a police car there. They're watching oh. you. You know, we've, we've got to be careful from this point on. They're watching it. They're suspicious of Sam. We've got to find that doll. Yeah. And what the scene that I'm thinking, the first time where you see her really just, aside from, you know, her argument with Gloria where she just loses it, yeah. is when Gloria tells her there's no police there's no car There's no police car. It's a van and they're parked next to the phone booth. Right. And, and she just is like she fuck. reacts like you punched her in the gut. She doubles over. She does. And she does a lot of double over, double, uh, doubled over screaming. Right. Of like no, Ooh. no, and like because big feelings. She doesn't know how to. Right. She doesn't know how to contain that anymore yeah. because she can't. And it's interesting afterwards thinking about that. How you you react when you don't see yourself. Would, yes. Would I change the way that I'm going to recoil from something if if I can't see how I'm reacting? Because yes. there's always that sort of feeling, oh, no, I'm doing too much. But no, if if all you're, you're doing is feeling things rather than seeing them, yeah, then you start developing a different kind of uh, language. And she calls Mike at the number that Mike left uh-huh. and and then hangs up because and then and Gloria has watched and says, Somebody just answered the phone booth across the street. Right. And at that point, she's like, okay. Yes. Everything's fucked. They want this doll. I don't know where this fuck... And they hadn't found the doll at this right. point. And then in the, at the end of that fight that he she has with Gloria, oops, the the doll, they, 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 they nudge the couch and the doll falls to the ground. And it sings its little song. And right. then they have found the doll. Well, the doll was taken by Gloria. Which is part of That's what she right. plays. That's why she's returning it back. She's returning it back because, again, she's a little bit disturbed. This one. She, yes. So she took the doll and she says, well, I came back and brought it back, I swear. But had God only knows what would have happened to Susie had the, you know, they found it right away. I mean, right. God, I don't know if her life would have been worth much to these guys. Although if they'd just been able to find it and take it, mm. they, I don't think they would have wanted to leave a body right. for no reason. Uh, certainly not Mike. And Mike and Carly don't yeah, want to kill Mike anybody. Mike at this point is becoming kind of infatuated with her. A little bit. Because he's seeing just how impressive she is. And yeah. At one point he goes out to the van and just tells uh, Carly, you know, she's something. Yeah. You know, she's she's really smart. I had to, you know, make up this spur-of-the-moment lie, which unfortunately is the one that did them in. Yeah. Uh, about the police car across the street because she saw us playing with the blinds. Yes. Yeah. Heard, 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 heard. Rather, heard, heard yeah. us playing with the blinds. That's the thing. She right. didn't see... Anything. Well, that was the funny thing. As we're watching it, Stephanie's like, why isn't she just... And I'm like, she can't see, Stephanie. She's blind. <laughs> Stephanie was, was high at the time. Very high. But she also was saying that she didn't think that Audrey Hepburn pulled off blind. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. What, she, what Audrey Hepburn doesn't do is the stereotypical blind thing. She doesn't look up to the side. She's looking straight forward, right. middle distance, which is... How blind people look. There's now, normally at this time, especially, they would have covered her eyes yeah. with uh, sunglasses or dark glasses, um, and that's usually that was usually a, a help as a crutch to the performer. And so it speaks pretty 
voluminously about Audrey Hepburn as an actor to have her clear eyes visible at all times. Yeah, there was a, apparently, and there's conflicting stories about that, there was an attempt made to give her contact lenses that would block off her vision so that she'd have some sort of impairment so that she could register that better. Um, and her husband, the producer, is like, no, her eyes are beautiful, we're going to be doing close-ups, I don't want you to do that to her. And That's a little gross, That was too. a little, well... Here's the thing, too. Another reason why this performance is so emotional is that when they started this film, they were married, and she was keeping the marriage together. When the film started shooting, they were divorcing, or they're separating. Oh, Jesus. So there's this whole other undercurrent... Of, now I'm going to deal with this motherfucker. Right, and so over the course of the (laughs) film, because the performance was so physical and she was so stressed, she lost another 15 pounds. Yeah, you can see that, too. Right. She is very slight in this movie, and there are scenes where she... Seems like she could fucking blow over with a big gust. Like, Which, and I think that really works for her in this part because she's supposed to be the most vulnerable person. But also, it's rough to see. Right. Oh, no, no. And that was Alan Arkin. He was... Uh, Audrey so Hepburn was nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Audrey Hepburn was nominated and as, as, lo- as, as well as... Um, well, not as well as. She was nominated. She did not win. She lost to another legacy uh, winner, which was Catherine Hepburn for Catherine. Guess Who's, <laughs> Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, okay. Um, which was not... No relation, everybody, because also Audrey Hepburn's last name is not Hepburn. Right. It that was, is not her given I've name. I've seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It is not a great performance, but it was another... I've never seen it. A reward for a career, I believe. Oh, was it? In my opinion. And the other performances that you're also very good. But um, Alan Arkin was asked if he felt cheated that he wasn't nominated for playing Roach because he does this really evil job. Stephen King said that he's like the personification of evil in this movie. He is unsettling. But he's not unsettling the way Mitchum is unsettling. He's mm-hmm. unsettling in a different way. He's very good. Right. But he's very understated. Yes. Like, very and his, Okay, so this is what he thought about his character. Maybe because he's supposed to be high on heroin. I don't That's know. That's exactly what he said. He okay. goes, this guy is on so many drugs that he's kind of hit a middle cool. Right. That's just fine. That's just fine. But, and the, the scary thing about that uh-huh. is... He could do literally anything. Right, and that's or he could over the course of the film. Not off. Yeah. It's really a fucking, you know... When you find out what he's coin capable flip of as to in the end when things don't go his way. Right. Well, you know pretty quickly that he, what he's capable of because Lisa's in the closet. Right. But <laughs> he, um, yeah, uh, the... So, yeah, he felt that. But he was asked if he felt cheated that he didn't get nominated. Uh-huh. He goes, you don't get an Academy Award for beating up Audrey Hepburn. You <laughs> don't. Like, you don't. You don't. No. So, it's like, I don't feel... And he not. said it was. It made him feel horrible. When, when Nicolas Cage punched Jalili Sobieski in that terrible uh, Wicker Man oh, remake, God. not that anything in that movie was going to get nominated mm-hmm. for anything, but you know as soon as that happened, it was like, that's going to be a no. <laughs> this is going to be a no for all the awards. Maybe a Razzie. Right. In fact, he probably was nominated for a Razzie for that. I think that film deserved to be. Yeah. I don't know if the movie is bad because it's bad, or it's bad because it's a remake of a masterpiece. No, it's bad because it's bad. It's just, yeah. It's bad because it's bad. 
it, there have been remakes of masterpieces that weren't as good. Right. That's not what this was. This was but a I mean, bad it just movie. fell so... He straight punched her in the face. Well, he also, like, kicks her in the gut. He yeah, does, like, a, a yokogeti. It's like it's the kind of kick you break walls with. And yeah. He kicks her in the gut. It was it's wild. Anyhow. Anyhow, back to this movie. Right. This movie, Wait Until Dark, where... It, so she realizes that at the, probably all three of these men... Are in cahoots. Are in cahoots. She... Her phone hasn't rung in a while. Mm-hmm. She does go to try and um, figure out why that might be, and she uh, pulls the cord, follows the cord to the end of it because it has been cut. So then she has another freak out where she screams, no, no, no. And then she's like, all right, well, if I'm going to survive. Oh, and they have put the doll in the trash, which eh, that's probably the weakest part of the plan. Here's where that doll should have gone. Back into Gloria's apartment. And I have to say that the, the safe winds up, because they're so fixated on that safe. They're so fixated on the safe. It winds up being almost like a second it's MacGuffin. It's a second MacGuffin. It's wild because she's like, it's there's nothing in the safe because when we moved in, the safe was from the previous tenant. And when we said, you need to take this with you, we don't want it, out of spite, the woman took the key and threw it in the gutter. So now they just have this safe that they can't even open, and it's just taking up space in their house. It's so weird. <laughs> um, I bet that worked better in uh, in a play. Well, it's it, I don't know. It's very good at the story is at diverting your attention to the wrong place, and yeah. and so you're thinking it's they keep setting up the safe as where it is, and you don't know until as where the doll is located, and you don't know until much later that Gloria had the doll the whole time. And then she yeah. brought it back and dropped it somewhere. And realistically... Or dropped it behind the couch. Behind the couch or wherever it was. They should have said, hey, take that doll back up to your apartment. And nobody's right. going up there. They don't... Well, I think she was also trying to spare Gloria because she's up Maybe. there by herself. She tries to put it in the washing machine and realizes that that doesn't make sense. So then she puts it in the trash. Right. Um, and then she starts taking out the light bulbs. Which I think is really the beginning of where this film becomes, I mean, it's it's sort of, dis, it's they're rushing at her and telling her these stories to the point where it's disorienting, but it's still yes. like a melodrama. Yeah. And then it kind of turns and turns into what Stephen King said was the scariest movie he'd yes. ever seen. So so she realizes that, that Mike, after, after trying to call right. him, she realizes that Mike is in on it. Um, the three men all end up back in her apartment one last time. Uh-huh. She plays it relatively cool, and she says, um, fine, the doll is at Sam's studio. studio. It's in a big roll-top desk on the third floor. Mm-hmm. And they leave. At, that's when Rote cuts the cord. Right. So she feels around for the cord, realizes it's gone. She sends Gloria to the bus station and she says wait she says have has anybody seen you and gloria says two of the men had walked up off up up the street and the other one was in the van right. and she, he says and the the one that stayed in the van is curly the other one that, that that's posing as a cop um and she's like no none of them have seen me and she's like great you're gonna go to the bus station you're gonna wait there all night if you have to you're going to find all the buses that come from Asbury Park, 
and you're going to get Sam and you're going to bring him back here. And Gloria does do that. She manages to maneuver around um, Carlino. Carlino by basically being like, I'm a Girl Scout, you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? <laughs> <Right. laughs> and then he's an asshole to her, and she's an asshole back. It's pretty good. And then she goes, and uh, and then she's gone. Right. And then that's when Susie's like, all right, well, I, the only um, leverage I have is I can maneuver this place in the dark, and they can't. So yeah. let's make it dark. She takes she, un, all of the lights. She unscrews the light bulbs and doesn't just unscrew them. She throws them on the ground and smashes them. There is glass all over this fucking right. apartment. And then she closes the blinds, uh-huh. the the big chunky blind that basically makes this whole place a dark room. And then, um. Mike comes back, and that's and she's just sitting there in her rocking chair, and he's like, um, you know, she's like, oh, you didn't find the dog? <laughs> and he's like, well, worse, I didn't even find the desk. <laughs> and he, she goes, yeah, Sam really deserves to have a desk and for I love his that work. Because that's the beginning like, of her, like, she's sassy She's in there. just like, she's, done. she's leaning into, yeah, she's like, if I'm going to fucking die, right. I guess I'm going to die. But fuck you, and right. I'm not going to go out easy. Um, and he's like, you need to give me the doll. And she's like, fuck you, basically. <laughs> and... She's like, he's like, look, I don't, I don't even want, I wasn't even supposed to be here today, but rope will fuck you up. So you really need to get, like, we need to give this doll to him because he is fucking dangerous. And that is true. He is on her side, at least that far at that point. Um, and he says, I've said, you know, I sent my partner to kill him, but it didn't. It didn't work out. Yeah, and we get a scene that's remarkably, weirdly, it's violent without being gory, where we see someone being run over by a car repeatedly, and then backing up and running over it again, and then backing up and running Rope's over it again. Got time, <laughs> right? So, and we're supposed to believe it first, or we think that's Rope well, that's getting run over. No, it's not. It is not. That is Carlino. Smush, smush. Smush. Double smush. <laughs> and then uh, he comes to the apartment and he does kill Mike. Right. Just and as he's leaving. Mike ju- is leaving. Mike is he... going to leave and then he is stabbed and, and falls on the steps inside the apartment. So right. his body is just on the floor of the apartment. Blocking the exit. <laughs> really. And... Oh, one thing we have not spoken of is uh, Susie is particularly afraid of fire. Yes. uh, Because fire is what blinded her. But also, she can't, she doesn't know, if if there's a, like, there's one point where there is a fire in the ashtray. Mm -hmm. And she calls the police. Because, or she calls the emergency line. Because she is blind and cannot see where the fire is. And or how big it is. All she knows is she smells fire in her apartment. And that is immediately a DEFCON most extreme right. 
I could die right now, and I don't know how to get away from it. And but but she also has the the actual PTSD of right, the exactly. fire from her own experience. So she's very afraid of fire. So he threatens her with fire, but she also kind of knew that shit was going to happen. So she's also set up like kind of a, like a little bomb. Uh-huh. She emptied a flower pot and filled it with uh, the the fluid, fluid, the development yeah. fluid, developing fluid, which I understand to be highly flammable. Well, it's highly caustic too. See, he Rook comes right. in and he's this is the kind of jerk he is. He comes in, marches over Mike's body with gasoline yeah. and just starts throwing around this. Is the, it gasoline? Yeah. I thought it was okay. I and thought then it was the fluid. she goes, "What is that?" And then she smells the gasoline. Okay, and then he calls up this. You know, this, uh, I guess, what is it? Um, like a burning piece of newspaper or something. Yeah, he does a burning piece of paper up into her face. And then she, like, it's like, fine, fine, fine. And she goes, and she actually does get the doll Mm -hmm. out of the trash. What, this is right before... Oh, no. Maybe she doesn't get the doll out of the trash then. But she does end up turning... The only light in the apartment at this Uh point is the... The big square light that's over the developer. Like, I don't know what it's called. Something, something dark room light. Um, and she's, she's fuck, fucking with it. And he's like, don't do that. Right. Because I think he understands what's going to happen if she does it. And she does. She plunges him into darkness. And he lights a match so that he could see. And then she fucking takes that gasoline out of that developer fluid. Right. And flings it all over him. So he can't light a match now to see. So they're on equal terms. They're on equal terms. Now, mind you, there's something that happens here. She gives him the doll at one she point. She does, okay. He cuts it open, finds... We do see the, the little... That's the only time that we know what's in the doll. Yeah. Um, and there's something that happens that is really creepy to me, not just because of what it is, but because of why he's doing it. He's fine. Oh, I want you in the bedroom. Yeah. And it's like you've already won, but you need to. That's what that's what pushes her over the side, right? Yeah, he pushes her towards the bedroom, and he is definitely, definitely gonna rape her. And it's done simply because she cost him too much trouble, and now he's going to get some sort of revenge, or he needs to hurt people. Yeah, yeah, and he wants to hurt people, and so that's that begins this entire. And that's when she starts fighting back. Right. And and getting real violent with gasoline and mad. She's like, yeah. fine, fuck you. I will light your ass on fire. I, I know what it's like and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so they're, they're fighting. Um, and she went, oh, well, he's counting out the heroin and putting it in mm-hmm. his pockets. She is over by... The ki- in the kitchen, and she grabs a knife out of the right um, where, from where uh, what's her name left it after picking it up off the floor. Yeah, but I think it, I think yeah. where she left it was actually in the the knife rack. Okay, um, because otherwise she wouldn't be able to find it. You got to put it back mm. where it goes, or else the blind okay. lady can't find it. <laughs> um, and. Now, mind you, we should also mention that Rote chained the front door. He has chained the front door so she can't get out that way. Plus, she has to keep climb, trying to climb over Mike's body. Right. But the other thing that he has done that that forces her to, to give the doll over is he has opened the refrigerator. So mm-hmm. the light from the refrigerator. And popped it open with a towel. And put the towel in the hinge. And she mm-hmm. can't figure out how to get the door closed right. again. So that's when she gives him that. But she gets the, the knife. 
he tries to maneuver her into the bedroom and she stabs him in the chest. Good. One time. And she's, then she's running towards... Um, Where she knows the exit to be, but yes. Mike is in the way. Mike is in the way. And then she tries to get... I think she's going towards the kitchen so that she can open the blinds mm-hmm. to try and get help that way. And out of fucking nowhere, it is scary, and she screams so <laughs> loud. Rote fucking fly, like, fl- right. he has a knife in his chest, but he's not done yet. And he flies out of the bedroom uh-huh. and just grabs her, and grabs her around the ankle. Now, you're a blind woman. You have a dead body over here, uh-huh. and what you think is a dead body back there, and you are running... And something grabs your ankle. How fucking scary would that be? The scream that she does, I was like, yo, (laughs) absolutely. Also, her hair is now white right here forever. Because that is fucking terrifying. She wrenches free and then basically wedges herself behind the refrigerator door. She's trying to feel for the plug so that the Light right. can go out because she can still be seen, but it's a big '60s era refrigerator. Right, exactly. At the very least, it's antiquated by her. Get through her. her. For yes. 1968, she says that ours is ancient. Ours is ancient. It's an right. ancient, so it's ancient a refrigerator. Huge, heavy thing. Yeah. And um, as he stands up to stab her, she's able to unplug the fridge, and then it's in total darkness again. And I think he just kind of runs out of gas he does well we don't see then we immediately go to there's like scuffle and right. grunts and, and you can't interesting. see anything i i really there are films that i wish i could have been in the first audience showing for right um originally theater owners were told because there was still there was a lot of ballyhoo back then. not sadly we don't have much of that now when this scene plays in the theater, the turn climax of the movie, lights? turn off all the lights oh, in the shit. theater so you were plunged into total darkness. Oh, that's scary. Yeah, and so you're hearing them. There's no words. Right. It's scuffle. It's grunting. It's screaming. It's screaming. It's, and it's things toppling. Right. And you don't know what it is. And then Sam and Gloria and the police show up. Uh, because we've also been told that Sam was told that his wife was in the hospital, so he's not even where she thinks he is. He's yeah. not coming back on a bus. He is going, he's looking for her in a hospital because he's been told that she was in an accident. I don't think that's ever true, though, because no. Gloria brings him back. Um, and they come into the house, Mike dead on the floor. We see Rote dead by mm-hmm. a toppled shelf, and they're calling out for Susie, who then, like, emerges... I like this Wikipedia article. Unharmed. Okay. Right. No, no, right. <laughs> uh, no, that's she's going to carry that weight a long time. Um, from behind the fridge, and then oh, this is the this is where Sam lost. I mean, I hated him from go, yeah. but uh, he. There are two dead bodies in this apartment. She has been through literal fucking hell, and he's like, "I'm over here." I'm over here. Come to me. Motherfucker, go to your wife. Are you yeah, fucking kidding me right now? Here's what's interesting about that particular scene. Oh, I hate it. In it, he's tearing up as he's saying this. He is. And so the idea is this was very much 
the idea of the time. It's like you have to help people to be independent on their own. That, that's mind fine. You, There's nowadays, a time and a place for that. Though. Nowadays, this is called bullying. This is the bully's excuse. Oh, I'm teaching him to be tough. Teaching him to be tough. Right? Yeah. And so that and was kind of the ethic then. Absolutely. Mm. You know, push your friends, push right. your love, loved ones to do as much for themselves as they can. There are two dead bodies. Go hug your fucking wife. Well, Gloria, or was it Gloria? Yes. Yeah. Excuse me. The yeah. girl. Gloria runs up and just jumps on her. Like. Right. Jumps on her, yeah. And But I'm just like, you need to... I, and I can't even imagine mm-hmm. walking into that room if I care about the person that is left alive right. in there, not going to them. Like, I cannot imagine standing in the middle and waiting for them to come to me. I can't wait for that. I need to come to you, like, right. to make sure that you're okay. And I, the fact that he just stands there and is, like, playing Marco fucking Polo <laughs> with her. I'm like, fuck you. And then right. they hug and that's the end. She says, oh, Sam. And they hug and that's the end. And I'm just like, he doesn't deserve you. No, no, really. That was he obvious. He doesn't even deserve to have a picture of you hanging in his home. <laughs> Fuck that guy. And I know it's t- times and places. Right. No, I no. I'm just like, that's I'm the sorry. context of when that kind of thing was you considered acceptable. You don't have a soul if you don't right. go to that woman. She clearly needs you to go to her. And I her. wonder if in subsequent interpretations of this, because the play has been done several times, um... Lee Remick and Robert Duvall were the, you know, the two, wrote in yeah. uh, Hendrix. Um, there was, uh, gosh, I think the, there's some very interesting pairings. But I want to know who Mike is, because Tallman is the, Mike Tallman is the more interesting and the more involved yeah. character. Um, but yeah, when it went to London, Honor Blackman was playing. Oh, wow. Uh, which was Really interesting, and then of course the one I told you about was Marissa Tomei and Quentin Tarantino playing Mike. But once again, who's playing Mike? Right, Mike is the Mike is the linchpin of this. Thing. Right, because Mike is the the balance between he has to very she good has and very to, bad. She you have to you have to kind of be on his side, mm-hmm. which is weird because he is a con man, but he doesn't like he's not a murderer. Right, and I think that that character is super important. I think Krenna is great. As that character. Um, but it's also a weird thing where he juxtaposes how he treats her versus how we see Sam treat her. And I'm like, mm-hmm. go with this dude. I understand he's a con man and is maybe going to kill you. But also, he clearly likes you more than your husband does. Oh, like, the other... Uh, Catherine Ross and Stacey Keach did it too. Oh, interesting. Which is a really... That would be an interesting uh, pair to see this with. But... Yeah, I am. Um, so, was it thrilling to you? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course. But once again, amazing. I want to know who played Mike in all of those performances right. because that, I think, is the that is the to me that's the lead. Mm. Arkin is not in that many scenes, right? Really, he, we see way more of Mike and um, he. Yeah, Mike is the one who's trying to finesse this plan yeah. into working. Even though he doesn't believe in it, there's one. We know that there's something wrong with Arkin's character from the very beginning. He's just twitchy. Yeah. There's a scene when he first comes out of the um, the basement uh, apartment, and uh, Mike touches him, and he's like, "Don't touch me." Yeah. 
it's he's very weird. Yeah, yeah, he's unstable, like he's, clearly unstable right. and dangerous. And that's fine, that's important. But and the so, only way that any of this works mm-hmm. is Mike. Yeah. I mean, it obviously doesn't work anyways because you can't. Well, she was too. She, she started unraveling their plan. Yeah, because it wasn't right. It wasn't a good plan. Well, I, yeah. I mean, the whole thing was done out of necessity, which is we need to get her to tell us where the doll right, is. Right, but also this is a plan that has been created by someone who is very unstable right. and on drugs, both. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and she had enough wherewithal to be like, this is fishy? Yeah. All of this is fishy. And I, I gotta think it's when your phone is just ringing and it's for all of these people. How convenient that you've called my my home to talk to this man who I've never met before. Why would you be calling here to talk to him? Unless I'm the person that you're actually talking to, which is, of course, what was happening, right? right? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is, it's, it's a really, well, as I said, Stephen King said that was the scariest horror movie he'd ever seen. It's really scary. And it is on the, it is on the, also on that Bravo, we've talked about mm-hmm. it before, the Bravo scariest moments list. Um, it has, the, 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 the final, it um, has to be, yeah, the, the final yeah. part of the movie, I think there's, uh, another film that I got you to watch, Eye of the Needle, that has a similar kind of the end of the film, the last act, is this knock-down, drag-out fight between a man and a woman, both desperately trying to, in Not that die. case... Well, one of them's trying to get information to the D-Day invasion was a fake, and the other one's trying to stop them. And it comes down to Donald Sutherland and Kate Nelligan trapped on this island trying to stop the other one, and the lengths they go to to stop each other. Yeah, And that was... This is... Because it takes place in this very... I mean, in that one, they were able to leave this... You know, they're trapped on this island, but they're still in the confines of the island trying to stop each other. In this, taking place in this one room, and the fact that she's blind just sort of ups the ante yeah. or ups the stakes a lot. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because as soon... We're 15... Not even 15 minutes in... Mm-hmm. And already we're like, oh, God, for this woman, because she's come into her apartment and these three men and this dead body are there. And she fucking doesn't know about any of it. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, the the, I think the last the the last scene in the movie. uh, And I'll just mention this briefly. I wrote a story called Benjago. It's the last story in my collection. Stealing Night that really was inspired by this film because the climax of it takes place with all it's it's during a seance and the candle goes out and then they're just utterly in darkness and all they're doing is hearing each other yeah because that was the most dramatic thing i'd ever and i can imagine both on a stage if all the stage lights go out and all the audience lights go out you're in total darkness just hearing screaming Mm -hmm. and then thinking about the sort of Length of the, at least on the original run, that the theater owners went to turning off the lights and all. Right. Be- yeah, that's a very good idea. But even without that kind of support, that scene, you've built up such a sympathy yeah. for her, and you know that Rhode is capable of doing anything. You also. 
right that little meme that's been that 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 got into my head which is you're not afraid of being alone in the dark right you're afraid of not being alone in the dark <laughs> right right like this is home invasion shit is fucking scary yeah and then yeah you can't see on top of it everybody knows what it's like to not be able to see for whatever reason yeah. it's too dark I don't have my glasses on, whatever it is, where mm -hmm. it's just like, I am at a severe disadvantage. I hope that nothing is trying to kill me right now. <laughs> um, and um, here's a baffling nomination. Mm. She was nominated, the Golden, they was nominated for two Golden Globes. She was nominated for Best Actress. And Ephraim Zimbalist was nominated as Best Supporting Actor, and that is a deeply baffling op choice. Like, what? Because if you wanted a Supporting Actor nomination for this thing, mm -hmm. it's Arkin. Right. Because if you wanted to call Best... Or if you wanted to say who is lead and who is supporting... Right. Uh, Mike is uh, Richard Crenna is the lead actor in this. He's got more lines he's on screen more mm -hmm. than. So you, if you want to do a supporting actor nomination, it's Arkin. What the fuck? Right. Sam was just a, such a fucking dipshit. Well, he's also barely in the film. Uh, yes, he's in like and, three and scenes. And also, I should bring this up too. This film was directed by Terrence Young. Yes. Terrence Young is the director who introduced the world of James Bond. He directed Dr. No, he directed uh, From Russia With Love, and he also directed uh, Thunderball. And then he wouldn't come back to direct any of the films. Um, he's a very interesting director in that he never established, I mean, he never established a style that followed him anywhere. Oh, you he, won a Razzie once. For which film? The third Golden Raspberry Awards, he won the Razzie for Worst Director for Inchon. Inchon, which was a very strange movie. It was funded by, um, I believe it was Reverend Moon. Oh. It was a very weird film. Um, but he uh, he was a, he's an interesting person himself, but his view of male-female relationships was kind of cruel. And his vision, for instance, of James Bond was he was kind of a sadist or he was sort of mean spirited. And, um, but he'd come from that kind of background. He had been to Harrow. He had, um, he was a tank commander in the second world war. Okay. He, he actually went and coached Sean Connery, how to wear suits properly and even how to eat properly. So it's like, he really formed that image of that man, but he was that man himself. Right. So his kind of, vision of the way that men treat women was sort of askew. But for whatever reason, he was put into this project and he worked really well with Audrey Hepburn and even worked with her in the second film, which also, uh, which wasn't as good uh, after that, I guess, Bloodline, which I've never seen, but mm. I've only heard bad things about. Um, Sydney Sheldon? Yeah, well, that was mostly because it was a huge Sydney Sheldon doorstop of a novel, and it tried to condense everything into two hours. But this cast? Yeah, the cast is amazing. Jesus Christ. And then... <laughs> so I'm just going to, just so uh, that I... Hepburn, Ben Gazzara, James Mason, Claudia Mori, Irene Pappas, Michelle Phillips, Omar Sharif, 
Yeah. Yeah, it was a huge cast, and <laughs> it was, you know, one of those monumental weights of talent. Oh, wah, wah. But yeah, he, he was an interesting guy in himself, but I think that part of... I, I can't help but think that having seen his version of who Bond was, that Sam was a part of that kind of, you it's know... It's a big pile of yuck, and I'm, I'm up not... And I don't like it. Suck it up and... Eat. Yeah, I know. Talk to your masculinity, best and, and I'm, I'm not of, here for it. No, that world is gone. Thank God. It's not yet, but hopefully Well, that soon. world is gone for... If you are... There's a period of time when you can think that... That was gen- the general consensus among men. I think when that became the, the general consensus, it's pulled away from that now, I think. At least I hope. I, I hope so. Because it's not healthy for anyone. So if we could just not, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, this whole time I'm just like, ooh, I want to be Susie's friend so I can just tell her she is too good for this man at every chance I could possibly get because she is too good for this man. And you can tell she's like, well, I'm damaged goods, so. Yeah. Uh, th- I mean, that's very much also within this character. And it's as she says it out loud as much. Yeah. Um, and to think what I did say, blind lady burn when they were when they do kind of come together when right. Gloria is like, but you're beautiful, like or you're gorgeous, right. and she's like, what a lovely thing to say. Like they have they have their shit thrown everywhere, and this is the conversation they're having. What a lovely thing to say. And then like two beats later, Gloria goes, um, I'd give anything to be gorgeous, and. <laughs> and Susie's response is something like, "We can't all we can't have we all. we can't have everything we want or whatever it is." And then they hug, and I'm like, "Burned she, by the blind lady." God damn. She does not. I'm sure you are not mm. any of that. It was literally just, yeah, that sucks for you. <laughs> I'd like to be able to see. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Ooh, goddamn. But yeah, it's such a it's a strange thing to be complaining to the blind person about. But um but yeah, it's I I just I really admired this film. Yeah, no, and it's I'm very really good. glad that we got to see it. I hope everyone gets a chance to. It's yeah. It's completely it's really worth your while. Yeah, and you will be engrossed in it. It's yeah. it's not very long. And it's not too long by any stretch of the imagination. I'd love to see uh, a, a theater performance of it. All right. So, we're going to talk about January. Okay, let's talk about January. This is the last film of 2022. Next time we speak to you, you will be in 2023, wherein hopefully things get easier and better. That is my hope for everything for you. Uh, so, our four uh-huh. movies for the month of January. Is it going to be weird? It's going to be a little bit weird. Mm. Uh, number 54 on this list is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 1969. Okay. Followed by Pulp Fiction, 1994, Rocky from 1976, and in a weird twist, Bull, Raging Bull from 1980. So we got a couple of boxing movies, and we got a couple of westerns. I don't okay, think I can so, say that about Pulp Fiction, but those are the movies that we are going to be watching. Well, oh gosh, this is a, that's weird. Yeah, 
That's the next. That's the. I next haven't. Set. I've never seen Raging Bull. I've also never seen Raging um, Bull. It was. It came out the year I was born. Oh, and I've never don't seen tell me it. That. <laughs> uh, but. I've seen Rocky, but years and years and years ago. I have seen Rocky. I definitely have um, seen Rocky. And Pulp Fiction, I the last time I saw it was years ago. I'm, that's another one I'm not quite looking forward to because I have my feelings. I, I, I'm I, not I, super looking forward to I feel some kind of way about Quentin Tarantino. Same. Right and so we will get into that. Right. Um, and I don't know. Let me just make sure. Which cast is Sundance Kid, though? This is the only... Yeah, this, I believe, is the only Tarantino on the list. Mm. I was thinking it was possible that... What's the what's his first one? Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was mm. on there, but I don't see it. So this will be the only Quentin Tarantino. So we'll get into the Quentin Tarantino right. of it all, because we both have feelings. Um, I'm excited, because the next thing we're going to watch... Is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and that feels like it's a fun movie. Is it fun? It's, it seems like it's going to be fun. It's very... It, okay. You like romantic comedies? I do like a romantic This is comedy. kind of a romantic comedy between two impossibly good-looking men. That's right. They have, like, a bromance. Well, they have a kind of a thruple going on. Ooh, even better. With Catherine Ross. Yes, um, please. <laughs> but, yeah, it's very... When you're watching the film, I'm going... Uh, and, and what's funny they is they definitely, that definitely fuck, but we're not going to talk about it. They, there's a those two actors loved each other in real life, yes. not in a romantic way necessarily, but they we just know that. really loved working together. And you know that they were they're apparently they were very good friends and had a great deal of respect for and it's like you We're talking asked, about Paul Newman and Robert right, Redford. If you asked here. Robert Redford about Paul Newman, he could go on just on a rant about how great he is. And if you asked Paul Newman, he's like, "Let me tell you about what Bob does. Bob does this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was they love so each other. Cute they watching. love each other. Right. Which is lovely to see. So yes, and this is according to the AFI's 10 top, the the 10 tens, mm-hmm. the 7th best Western of all time. So, it's almost a parody of of westerns. It's it's a very is it odd... like super long. No, it isn't. Mm-mm. But it's probably I don't know why I had it in my head as being very long. The first real, like modern westerns, um, and the beginning of sort of revisionist westerns. So yeah, you'll you'll like it. I who think d- who who what, William Golding. Oh okay, Golden. Golden, excuse me. Golden and Golden, I get mistaken all the time. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a Golden fan, so I'm a, yeah, I'll, I'm looking forward to this one. Came out in 1969. Yeah, I remember this one pretty well because. Um, so this movie was was came out the year you were born, right? and then we'll end with one that came out the year I was born. They gave us the screenplay for Butch Cassidy's Sundance Kid. When it's I got was a lot of awards, goddamn. In a screenplay writing class. Okay. And they're like, this is this is how to do it. Read what he wrote and you'll go, all right, this is what gets a producer to look at it and go, oh, this is something that I would like to do. Oh, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head is right. from this, this movie? Which is even strange. Stranger, you know, it's like, okay, there's a Western and here's a musical interlude in a romantic comedy type scene, but... But yeah, best original screenplay. It it won that that Academy Award. Uh, 
um, it won the British Academy Award as well. Uh, score, score Grammys, yeah, it won a bunch of awards. So, hooray! And the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Drama Written Directly for the Screen. Is it a drama or is it a comedy? It's more of a comedy. Like I said, it's a romantic comedy. That's the way I see it. Well, here's a fun thing, which we can talk about in a little while. Mm-hmm. Or when, when we talk about it. In September of this year, Amazon Studios announced a television adaptation of a film starring Reggie John Page and Glenn Powell with the Russo Brothers executive producing it. So we'll talk about that more. In the meantime, in this post-Christmas, pre-New Year's week, do you have anything you would like to recommend to our listeners? Um, actually, I have, I have been very busy lately and I haven't, Actually, taking in any media? No, me neither. I know. I, I've been listening to podcasts as my only media. I've been. I went into a, an art show this weekend. Um, and when you go to an art show thinking that you're that you're the the person that you know right. paints cats, and then you walk in and it's all gigantic, gigantic nudes. nudes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> In various states of undress, and in some some of the pictures, were in Kama Sutra type. Coitus! <laughs> right. <laughs> um, take in uh, some theater. Here's what I'm going to recommend. Uh-huh. If you haven't mm-hmm. for Christmas or for the holiday season, watch some fav- some classics. Number one, Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, yes. Those are the rat. He's here for the food. And see if, if you, you can go get... to Disney go Plus, ahead, yes. go to the special features and watch the entire uncut version because it's good to be sad. It's good to be sad. Watch the watch the movie with the sad yes, scene. Yes, you in will it. come away from that <laughs> film as I did, thinking that Michael Caine really is one of the greatest actors who've ever lived, because he does this heartbreaking song that for some reason was cut out of the film. Yeah, because and... kids will find it boring. And at the same time, you know, the kids didn't walk here from home by themselves. Somebody drove them here. <laughs> Somebody's sitting in the theater Also, with them. the kids don't find a song boring, right. typically. It's fine. So, yeah, watch the full version. Right. It's it's Absolutely. there on Disney+. Plus. The second thing I'm going to say, mm-hmm. we just saw Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, where he said nothing. I recommend you watch the original Grinch cartoon, where he says everything. everything. Oh, God. Yes, that's and a good... three... Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas because it's heartwarming and beautiful and the music is legit good. <laughs> it's legit good and it's not the same old Christmas music. Right. And put on a Vince Guaraldi album. Yes. And uh, enjoy your holiday seasons. Yeah. I and feel stay the same warm. way about if I can see the Peanut Christmas uh, special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to look for that. I think it's on Disney. It too. is really, really lovely. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, and and the music is. Yeah. So 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 good. Is your ringtone? So it's it is my ringtone. <laughs> I went to the special Christmas house, second special Christmas house, on the second song that came on was that. Right. Was Linus and Lucy, 
And I was like, my phone! And then I was like, oh, it's, it's not. It's a Christmas song. So, that's what we recommend. And we will see you in the new year. Happy New Year. You guys. Stay everybody safe. be cool when we enter into the new year. So it doesn't come out swinging like the last three have. Just everybody be cool. Stay safe. Drive safe. If you don't have to be out, don't, don't be out. Um, it's dangerous on the roads. It's getting more dangerous on the roads. And we want you all to be safe. Um, so, yes. Let's be careful of that. that. Uh, we, if you have questions or comments and concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. And we are still on Twitter. For now. As, as much as we ever have been, which is almost none. Uh, and I want to remind you to take your medicines. Uh, if you've been forgetting, try to be mindful. Think of my voice. And take your medicine. You deserve it. And we'd like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.